Hi, this is Jason Cascarino. Welcome to the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, a production of the Remaking Middle School Initiative. You can learn about Remaking Middle School on the web at remakingmiddleschool.org. Now, here's this episode. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, where we explore the many facets that impact young adolescents in the middle school years, from the adverse to the awkward to the awesome. I'm your host, Jason Cascarino. Today, we have part one of my conversation with Colleen Cicchetti and Karen Curry from the Center for Childhood Resilience at Lurie Children's Hospital in Chicago. Colleen is the founder and longtime executive director of the nearly 20-year-old center, focused on providing access to high-quality mental health services for children and adolescents. Karen is a licensed clinical social worker and mental health consultant for CCR. A 30-year veteran in the field, Karen provides training, consultation, and expertise for schools and school systems, as well as out-of-school time community and youth-serving organizations to build the capacity of adult educators and caregivers around trauma-informed and healing-centered systems and practices, a capacity that ultimately underpins effective teaching and learning and positive youth development. And I think part of our challenge actually has to do with the, the, the lens that we take about education and the growing understanding and the growing research that in order for kids to be in a um, ready position to learn, their whole self needs to be tended to, right? And so a lot of the work that we try to, to do, a lot of the support that we try to provide, we call it heart and mind work, right? So we're trying to... to shift attitudes to to some degree. We're trying to expand the understanding of lots of different aspects of kids' lives that are a part of, or that we believe and research backs, should be a part of their educational process. Here in part one of our conversation, Colleen, Karen, and I talk about the state of mental health among young people today, including the many societal forces affecting it the origins of the Center for Childhood Resilience and the reasons for taking on the role of adult capacity building rather than direct student mental health services, and some of the aspects of mental health specific to young adolescents. Then in part two of our conversation, we talk about the work that CCR does in both the in-school and out-of-school spaces, including helping schools establish comprehensive behavioral health teams, And we talk about the widespread and long-lasting impacts of trauma and the work of CCR to build capacity to implement trauma-informed practices. Part two will be released next week. Now, here's part one of my conversation with Colleen Cicchetti and Karen Curry. Colleen, Karen, I am so happy to get the chance to talk with you both. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Appreciate you having me here. So in doing this podcast focused on young adolescents, especially within the last year, I would say there probably hasn't been a topic we have covered with many of our guests that has been more urgent than mental health. It is, a, it is top of mind for everyone who works in the world of education and youth development. So our conversation here is timely, and I'm eager to get your insights and expertise and have you share them with the, our listeners. First, let's start by getting to know a little bit about you both. Colleen, you are a clinical psychologist. You are currently associate professor in that field at Northwestern University and also the executive director of the Center for Childhood Resilience at Lurie Children's Hospital in Chicago. What is it about the field of 
mental and behavioral health and well-being, specifically for children and young people, that compelled you to make it your life's work? I actually started out wanting to be a pediatrician and um, was pre-med and was volunteering at a hospital. And what I learned in the hospital was that I was interested in the health conditions that were bringing kids to this intensive hospital setting. But what I was most interested in was sort of the human spirit and the emotional factors that contributed to how these kids were addressing and dealing with the mental or the physical health challenges that they had. So I would say, you know, from from a pretty early age in college, I realized that I was really interested in this idea of what is it that kids are confronted with and how, what are the ways that we create and support their protective factors and build their capacity to cope with all kinds of challenges, both within themselves, but also with their families and with their communities. So that's been kind of my passion and the um, impact particularly around trauma has been an ongoing part of that, both within my more traditional psychology training and work in a hospital setting and certainly in my work in the community. Karen, you are a licensed clinical social worker and mental health consultant for the Center for Childhood Resilience. You also have a strong background in social-emotional learning, and we've covered that a lot in the podcast as well. Was social work and education and youth service setting something you always aspired towards? What were your motivations in taking up this work? That's a, that's a good question, uh, Jason. I was one of those uh, kids and and early adults who still was in the question of what do I want to be and do when I grow up. And so um, I come from two wonderful parents who were educators and fantastic nurturers of children. So I, I really think that part of what's foundational to my interest and passion in this work, particularly around social and emotional learning, is just my lived experience uh, observing them being their daughter. And I had my own experiences growing up. So I think some of my interest also as it relates to children in particular, is, is supporting youngsters to, to get some of that good stuff that I feel like I would like to have had in certain spaces as I was growing up. So, And the social-emotional learning piece came after I'd been in my social work career for several, several years. I, I attended a single training offered by the Collaborative for Academic Social-Emotional Learning, and something clicked in me. It's like, oh my goodness, this is, this is the stuff. Colleen, let's talk about the Center for Childhood Resilience, or CCR. You founded this center, which was initially called the Community-Linked Mental Health Services Program. Give us a little bit of the origin story. How did this entity get its start? What were you looking to achieve? It's interesting because it's embedded in some important things that also have to do with social-emotional learning. Illinois, back in 2003, created the first um, mental health legislation that created a couple of things that became critical to the work that both Karen and I do. One was they created the first set of social emotional learning standards for the state. The second is that they said the state of children's mental health in our state is bad. We need to do a better job of making it easier for families to connect to mental health services, to know where they are, to have them be the right intervention for the right kid at the right time. And so they created through this Children's Mental Health Act SEL standards, they created the Children's Mental Health Partnership, and they created a set of guidelines for schools on what it would look like if they were actually doing what we now would call a public health model for addressing kids' mental health. So thinking about what is it that every kid needs universally? What is it that we need to be looking for in terms of identifying and seeing kids who were at risk? 
or needed more services that could be delivered in schools? And then how do we build actual relationships with schools and communities so that if kids are identified through schools, that we get them to be connected to services? So that model actually has been around in our state since 2003. The original work of the community-linked mental health services program was actually a grant where we had two schools in Mm -hmm. Illinois, specifically in Chicago, that we went in and we tried to say what would happen if CPS, Chicago Public Schools, did deliver on everything that was in their plan. So we had one school where we actually had Lurie Children's, at the time was Children's Memorial staff, go in and do all of the components. And we partnered with the school, but we were there every single day. We had social workers embedded. We had a summer camp program, an out-of-school time program. We trained teachers. We worked with the school social workers. We delivered interventions in the building through classrooms, helping support them to implement SEL curriculum, et cetera. The second site was a school where we, instead of putting Larry Children's team members out into the school, we worked with the folks that already existed. So the Boys and Girls Club of Chicago had a location in this school already provided an out-of-school program, an after-school program, a summer camp program. Similarly, they already had a community mental health provider with DePaul Community Health that was in that same space working with the school. So in that school, what we did is we put together a collaboration where we were bringing many of the same tools that we were using in the self-contained blurry model, and we encouraged them to adopt it to support the school. At the end of the grant, what we learned were a couple of really critical things. One was that both models worked, that in fact, these guidelines were really useful, that you need to think about services, not just at the high need, but for all kids. So that was important. The second thing we learned was that the community-linked model was just as effective as the one that had Larry Children's staff. So all this to say that we learned pretty quickly that we could continue to go around and try to figure out what our role is, or we could work with the Chicago Public Schools to help them leverage dollars, resources, grants, opportunities to figure out the model that would work the best for them, and that we would then think about what our role as a tertiary care hospital was, which is to sort of be that link and really think together collaboratively about how do we find the solutions that are going to work the best in our city. That's great. And I want to dive deeper into some of the specific things that you're working on, but I wonder if it's it may be worthwhile to just take a bit of a, a pause or a step back just to talk about our, our, our world, if you will, the, the world in which we're all sort of operating. And Karen, maybe let's start with you. I, I was at a conference in San Diego uh, back in the spring, and the U.S. Surgeon General was there, Dr. Vivek Murthy. And this was just a few months after his alarm bell advisory on the crisis of youth mental health. The initial announcement that they made in that advisory, it talked about a youth mental health crisis that was, and this was a, the crucial phrase, further exposed by the COVID-19 pandemic. So he, you know, he made the point to say that the mental health crisis was not solely a product of the broader public health crisis of the pandemic, but rather that mental health, particularly among our nation's youth, had been in crisis for some time, even before the pandemic. Can you just take a few moments, Karen, to, to share your reflections on what's happening with young people today? So first, I want to just acknowledge what you said about the fact that the pandemic did not create this crisis, right? Kids have been in crisis. Kids have been in crisis forever. I think there's a different level of attention that is paid to who those kids are, who are who are in crisis, you know, and what some of the root causes of the crises are. And I think one of the things that has happened with both the pandemic and the um, increased awareness about issues regarding racism and equity 
is that there's a better understanding now about the fact that this is not a new issue, but it's touching more and more kids. And it's touching, if I can speak freely, it is touching more kids who are cared about by the general public, if I can be blunt about that. So, um, you know, what what is it that's going on with kids today outside of this in chaotic environment in which we all, all live? I think, you know, the onset of social media and the, the way it has just continued to be a priority in, in so many of our lives has uh, impacted the way that kids learn how to be in relationship and they interact with one another. You know, those kind of basic foundational social and emotional skills that are developed through in-person and ongoing personal relationships has been impacted by the onset of social media. And that onslaught of information and just stimuli that is now coming into the lives of children at all ages and certainly our adolescents, right? It, it can be overwhelming for any individual. And certainly if you think about young people whose brains are still developing, whose identities are still developing, to, to have um, so much stimuli that is often unfiltered, there is support that is, um, I think, critical to help young people navigate that. And when that support is not available, that leads to some very challenging experiences that our youth are, are going to be going through in order to navigate what's next, right? That impending adulthood. But again, I want to say for some kids, this is a long-standing, a long-standing issue. We know that only about 50% of kids who need mental health services in this country ever get them. And those that do, 70% of them, on average, at least the first, if not the only mental health professional they ever talk to is one through the school. And so one of the things I've been saying for a very long time is we are never going to mental health our way out of this problem. There's too much need. We cannot possibly build enough social workers and psychologists and psychiatrists to meet the need. So we really need to be thinking differently about who are the adults that can intervene and help kids to develop the kinds of skills and protective factors that Karen was just talking about. So when we're working in Chicago, we're working with teachers as someone who has a really impressive and intensive relationship with kids for one year and really want to help them be equipped with tools so that they understand what kids need to be well and strong and healthy and have the resources and strategies that they need. But we're also working with out-of-school providers. We're thinking about who are those other adults. For the long time, the CDC has said the most important thing for kids who've been experiencing any kind of adversity is safe, supportive relationships. And this is one of the interesting features about CCR is the the emphasis or the focus on the adults. So you're less uh, focused on delivering direct programming to youth, but rather focused on developing the capacity of the adults. And that's educators in schools, youth workers, after school programs and so forth. A lot of those types of folks listen to this podcast. And I wonder how you balance them under increasing sort of pressures to perform and, and having to produce results, particularly in an environment where a lot is coming at them that their their students are behind with the additional needs that they have to care for their young people in ways uh, that support them uh, more, more broadly as, uh, as, as they develop and grow. That is exactly the essential question that we're dealing with all the time, which is helping people to understand that we're not asking them to become something different, but we are asking them to be intentional 
in the skills and the gifts that they bring to the work that brought them to the work in the first place. It, it really is a challenge. And I think we are still in the process of learning, of learning how to do it. And I think part of our challenge actually has to do with the, the, the lens that we take about education and the growing understanding and the growing research that in order for kids to be in a um, ready position to learn, their whole self needs to be tended to, right? And so a lot of the work that we try to, to do, a lot of the support that we try to provide, we call it heart and mind work, right? So we're trying to, to shift attitudes to, to some degree. We're trying to expand the understanding of lots of different aspects of kids' lives that are a part of, or that we believe in the research backs should be a part of their educational process. When I think about education and the, 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 I guess the purpose, I'm thinking of preparing and nurturing young people to be, re to be able to thrive in the world as adults, right? Be productive citizens, be successful, whatever that might mean. And we're learning as we pay more attention to behavioral and mental health and social and emotional, but there's so much more that is critical to kids' opportunity and capacity to learn those more technical and academic skills. And so our, our goal and our hope and our aspiration is to just help adults who work with kids expand their understanding of what is called for in order to truly and comprehensively educate kids, to let them know that they have the capacity to bring those additional skills into the spaces where they are working with kids, and then to work with them to think together about how can this be integrated into what you're already doing. And that type of integration is especially important in early adolescence. Uh, you know, we take a very developmental lens here in, in this uh, podcast and the work that we do. And where young people are in this tremendous developmental spurt where they're, they're growing psychologically, physiologically really uh, rapidly. So that holistic approach is perhaps especially attuned to this particular time period. I wonder if you've ever thought about that as you, given you kind of your, your work sort of spans childhood and sort of adolescence, whether you have any sort of thoughts on how the experiences and, and how uh, the mental health challenges are addressing them and the well-being at this particular age, how that maybe differs compared to maybe other sort of developmental, developmental stages. For one thing, we know that the brain is developing really fast um, at this particular developmental stage. So we've got you know, early childhood and then middle childhood is where we see that biggest brain development. So what we know is brains develop based on use. So introducing these types of skills and strategies and helping kids to practice them and use them in their daily lives is going to help develop long-term cognitive and brain capacity to do some really important work around regulation. The other thing that's really important about middle school is when we think about childhood development, we think about the focus of who are the players that have the biggest impact on kids as they grow. And early on, that's families, right? We know that the relationship between primary caretakers and what's happening in your home is really mediating most of your brain development and emotional development for young children. By the time we get into the middle childhood years, that has shifted. 
the parents obviously are still critical and as a parent of 20 year olds, I know that it continues forever, but the impact of what's happening in the social world and how that plays out and how they perceive both their internal world and their external world and their value in the world becomes much more impacted by their peers. So I think it's especially critical when we talk about this type of work that we're thinking about peer influence is very, very critical at this time. And they're looking to one another, they're practicing things. And so if we can normalize that feelings are something to understand and to reflect upon and to be aware of so that you can be more successful in the world in this particular period. And at the same time, helping them start to think about their increasing capacity to think abstractly and to literally be better at putting themselves in someone else's shoes, we can really change some of their trajectories in terms of how these skills develop. That was Colleen Cicchetti and Karen Curry from the Center for Childhood Resilience at Lurie Children's Hospital in Chicago. You can learn more about CCR online at childhoodresilience.org or on Facebook and Twitter at Lurie CCR. Remember to look out for part two of my conversation with Colleen and Karen next week on the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, where we feature conversations with researchers, practitioners, program developers, and advocates for young adolescents in the middle school years. Recently, I interviewed Alex Usher and Alex Seaskin from the University of Chicago. Alex Usher is Associate Director for Data Research at the University of Chicago's To and Through Project and Senior Research Analyst for the UChicago Consortium on School Research. Alex Seaskin is Director of the To and Through Project, which is housed at the UChicago Urban Education Institute. UChicago's Consortium on School Research and the To and Through Project have been at the forefront of research into data that can determine whether students in elementary, middle, and high school are on track for on-time graduation and successfully transitioning into post-secondary options. You know, we like to say on track is not determinative. Like you can, something that high schools, and in this case, elementary schools can change. It's something that's malleable. And when schools gather and organize around passing classes, around attendance, around GPA, and around other questions of student experience and student voice and inclusivity, they, they can have an impact on these early warning indicators and on the fundamental experiences of students in schools. And those things then later on in students' uh, trajectories have impacts on outcomes. You can listen to both parts of my conversation with Alex Usher and Alex Siskin wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for joining the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, a production of Remaking Middle School, an initiative that seeks to transform the learning and development experience for young adolescents in the middle school years. Remaking Middle School brings together good educational practice in school and out of school with the latest developmental science. You can learn about Remaking Middle School or find more resources about the topics of this podcast on the web at remakingmiddleschool.org. Or learn more about the founding partner organizations, the University of Virginia's Youth Next Center on the web at education.virginia.edu slash youth-nex, or on Twitter at youth underscore nex, and the Association for Middle-Level Education on the web at amle.org or on Twitter at amle. The Lessons in Adolescence podcast is produced by Abby Gillespie and me, Jason Cascarino, editing by Paige Waterhouse. 
You can listen to or download each episode at the Remaking Middle School website on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening.